This podcast is brought to you by EnergyX. Are you tired of paying huge rates to the big cloud providers? Are you worried about being booted off a cloud platform if your company doesn't meet their ever-shifting standards? Ready to step up your data security and disaster recovery game? Well, ladies and gentlemen, your new cloud is ready. Introducing xCloud, the scalable, resilient computing cloud that is also actually affordable. It's high-performance compute for half the cost. HPC for HTC. xCloud from Red Team is opening a beta program for new cloud computing customers, and that means you, my friend. The xCloud is powered by the XMDC Immersion Cooled Modular Data Center from EnergyX. I've seen this data center in operation, and it is a total game changer. So if you want more information about the beta launch, go to the URL in the description. Type in promo code BETA, B-E-T-A, for 50% off of your first instance. And so the URL is going to be digitalwildcutters.com forward slash energy. X. This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Service Podcast. I'm here with Josh Averett with Midstream Holdings. What's up, man? How's it going, man? Doing Thanks good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I completely forgot what you guys do, so let's start there. Yeah, no worries. Uh, Midstream Holdings is basically an asset listing service for... Um, That's right. That's yep, why I was for, excited about it. Okay, now I remember. Here yeah, for, uh, for pipelines and facilities, a lot of Houstonians will... I kind of recognize the analogy. It's it's like an HAR for for pipelines and okay. uh, midstream assets. Okay. So uh, yeah, we're a listing service, um, trying to put um, buyers and sellers together uh, in a market that's typically underserviced by larger financial institutions mm -hmm. like investment banks or other routes that the traditional M and A model um, follows. So. Uh, we've identified kind of a niche in, in the smaller transaction world, and uh, a lot of times these these packages are bundled up into these giant sims, mm -hmm. and uh, we're trying to unbundle those and get them listed on a platform that brings a little more visibility, not only from the buy side, uh, but it kind of casts a bigger net um, to the smaller crowd for the sellers as well. Okay, I'm going to come out swinging with the, the million-dollar question. Why hasn't this been done yet? Um, you know, I think it's just a uh, a matter of bucking the the traditional process. Uh, traditionally, it's looked like, um, hey, we've got a, a really big asset that we're ready to divest. Uh, let's let's go round up some of the smaller things that we're kind of bleeding cash on, or maybe uh, we don't have the the bandwidth to operate them efficient efficiently. Whether it's from a geographic standpoint or a personnel standpoint. And uh, they, uh, they've typically bundled all these packages together, toss them over to an investment bank and say, hey, go out and uh, go out and find a buyer. And they make a buyer take the bad with the good, mm -hmm. right? So we're trying, to, we're trying to go in and say, hey, look, there might be some inherent value to the, the smaller assets that you're just kind of lumping in that might be a detractor to the, the total package, or uh, maybe you're not realizing as much value as you could because you're forcing somebody to take it. And it kind of goes back to the 80-20 rule, right? Where 80% mm -hmm. of your revenue is uh, coming from 20% of your assets. And uh, and we're trying to focus on that 20% from the bundle perspective and uh, and get somebody to kind of break those off and say, hey, look, you know, these are for sale and not on sale. Uh, let, let's list them on an individual 
on an individual basis. And maybe there might be a smaller, more regional operator that has a little bit of cash. Uh, they're looking to put a stake in the ground and uh, they're searching for for somewhere to place that capital. And maybe that, you know, 20 mile gathering system that is nothing to a big guy. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's a great asset for them and a way to kind of get their foot in the door mm-hmm. in the midstream space. Or maybe there's a there's a plant that makes sense for them to be able to tie into. Uh, maybe they already have some uh, some pipeline assets in the ground and they're looking for somewhere to tie in and this this plan is mothballed or uh, maybe the EBITDA is not there for the previous owner um, for them to make sense to keep it. And uh, and we're trying to find a buyer for in that market. So is there like a size of, of transaction or a kind of asset that you guys are, are really kind of focused on? Sure. I think that um, that's that kind of shifts with the economic climate, right? Yeah. Uh, like uh, I would say in today's world, it's probably $150 million and below. Um, but you know, that threshold moves with the economy. And if you would ask two years ago, maybe that threshold would have been 40 million bucks. Um, Mm -hmm. basically what we're trying to identify the target where an investment bank says, Hey guys, this isn't, this isn't worth our time. And what's the floor there? I'm sorry. What's the floor? Ooh. Um, at this point in startup mode, of course, we're willing to take on anything. anything. Um, what we're not looking for, we're not trying to be a Sanford and sons and go out and round up a bunch of uh, you know small idle assets that don't have cathodic protection. There hasn't been any integrity programs done. Maybe the the pipe looks like Swiss cheese. Like we're not trying to be mm. a junkyard. We're we're looking for something with some EBITDA on it. But I mean, we take we take an idle system that that has no EBITDA on it. So I think you know the floor is probably in the neighborhood of half a million bucks uh, yeah. and up. So. So one of the things I, you know, I'm familiar with how you evaluate um, upstream assets pretty intimately, but I'm not really sure how midstream assets are actually valued. So how, how do you do it? Sure. Uh, that's, we, we generally uh, bring in some consulting to, to do that, but uh, a lot of times it's just based on throughput, right? Throughput and what the market for whatever product is going through that, that line is. So we're talking dollars per barrel or dollars per cubic feet or um, on the backside of a plant, whatever the, the sell price on the, I guess, refined product would be and, and what that capacity is. And then, you know, you got to go back and look at what is the percentage of capacity that's committed to a pipeline? Are they running at 20% capacity? Or are they running full throttle? Uh, and all those things kind of come into play. Uh, the other thing too, is uh, you really got to look at right away valuation, where if, if it's a right away in the middle of nowhere, uh, your dollars per rod is going to be fairly low. And if you're trying to run a pipeline, um, maybe coming out of Midland or Pecos or Monahans or something like that, it might be a little bit higher. If you're trying to run through the city of Houston or uh, the Houston Ship Channel, it's going to be much higher too. So there's a bunch of factors that, that we have to take into account and mm-hmm. uh, bring some valuation uh, experts in and uh, and try to go from there. And then we have to try to set a realistic expectation with the seller too, right? And we don't want to, we don't want to promise them that they have a, a diamond in the rough when uh, it's just rough. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things to take into account when when it comes. So, to are that. you? So, are they acquiring existing contracts whenever they're purchasing these assets? Yes. Okay. Yep. So, all of that due diligence documentation will go into a data room. Um, kind of the way our, our website works is, if you go online, you'll you'll be able to see all the assets that are for sale. Uh, we have everything kind of built out in uh, KMZ files and, and Google Earth, but 
I'll get to it in a little bit. That's one of the exciting things we got going on. We've uh, we brought on um, a company to to really beef up our GIS program. So it's gonna it's gonna be really cool. We'll we'll be able to see the current listings, the attribute the attribute data uh, behind the current listings, and we'll have a lot of layers to overlay on that. And you can see interconnectivity, uh, what processing plants are around the assets that we have for sale, what the production looks like um in that area so it'll make it'll make the uh the commercial group's job a little bit easier when they see something that's for sale on our website to not have to go back and dig through a bunch of documents or make a bunch of phone calls and and at least make a business case to run it up the chain and say hey guys i think this asset may make sense we can we can tie in over here we can uh bring it downstream over there so uh we've got some good things coming like that. But the, uh, the way that our website works right now is you'll go on, you'll see a list view. You can look at it in map view also. Um, and it has some high level data, right? Just stuff that, uh, you can look at and say either this makes no sense for us or, Hey, I think, I think we might want to take a look at it and you'll request more information. And, uh, after you hit that request information button, we'll go back to the owner. So we kind of serve as a, as a buffer between, the owner and the potential buyer. And, you know, there's a lot of confidential confidentiality things that go around um, these types of transactions, even if they're just looking under the hood. Maybe some some people don't want someone to know that they're shopping. Maybe some sellers don't want other people to know that they're selling because they don't want to give the illusion that maybe they're fire selling assets for cash or whatever it may be. But once you uh, once you request information, we'll go back to the seller. We'll execute a confidentiality agreement and uh, we'll we'll spin up a virtual data room and we'll dun- dump all those due diligence documents into it. So if there are contracts like you're like you're talking about, those will go into a data room for review. Um, any other right of way agreements, land lease agreements, whatever it may be, uh, that's all up for review mm. uh, before somebody makes an offer. And then when they make an offer, we'll bring it to the the seller and they can decide whether they want to sell it or not, uh, whether it's a dollar the dollar value impacts that decision or maybe a commercial risk um, standpoint comes into play where they might be trying to lay a Permian asset. And if this other company is coming in and it might uh, compromise their position on their new project, maybe they don't want to sell it to that, to that company, but all those things will be taken into account and, um, and be presented to a buyer. So is it purely, is it based on offers? Is there like, is there like an auction where there's a certain time frame and Hey, we're taking all the offers at a certain time. Is it a, you know, auction? We have, we have the capability to do both right okay. now. Um, everyone that has listed on our site so far, it's just been kind of an open-ended deal. Like, Hey, if, uh, you know, if you guys can drum up an offer, we'd be happy to entertain it. This is again, for sale, not on sale. So uh, you guys do the best you can go out and try to find us uh, an offer on it. But if there's a if there's a time constraint on wanting to get rid of some assets or something like that, uh, we're we're set up to be able to put a a date on it. And then once we list it, of course, we go out to all of our subscribers and uh, some other contact databases that we have in some of our other portfolio companies. And we go out and we say, hey, there's a new asset for sale in XYZ region and uh, try to get it on everybody's radar. So. so obviously this is a marketplace, right? So it's, it's one thing when people are wanting to sell assets and, and come there. How are you guys finding the buyers? I understand that sometimes they could be the same people, right? And if they're aware of you, then now they can you know bid on these things. What, what's, what's your strategy about getting the other side of the market to, to get that buyer reverse? Sure. So uh, when we first 
we first started the company, uh, we were asking ourselves the same question, like, how are we going to, how are we going to find the buyers? And what we found was, uh, it, it's a little more difficult to find the sellers than it is mm. the buyers right now. So everyone we've talked to, and, and we've been, um, you know, we've been making our calls and doing presentations and things since about 2020 and, uh, had some really good feedback. And a lot of the conversations always ended with, man, I don't have anything to sell right now, but we're always buying. So the, the buyer part on, from a broad, like big cast net perspective is a fairly easy deal, right? There's, I mean, there's a finite amount of midstream companies, a finite amount of, uh, companies that we would go out to. But when we do get an asset, we go back through, um, a lot of the databases that are public knowledge and then some private ones that we subscribe to. And we go do a more surgical approach based on the geographic region. And uh, yeah. then it then hey, it's just this is on sale. School. We know you guys may be interested. You've you know, you play in this space or you've made offers in this space. In That's house. right, man. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's just old school bootstrap. Mm -hmm. Start with the front desk and cold call. And sometimes we work our network and we end up having a, a good contact either on the commercial side or C-suite um, C-suite level where we can uh, have some sort of warm introduction there. But uh, man, a lot of it's just the old school hustle, man. Pick up the phone, start dialing and um, building our contacts like that. It's so surprising this has never been done. How, how do you, how'd you guys get here? What's like, what's your background? Yeah. And it, it's funny that you say that because every presentation we've given, it's like a light bulb goes off mm -hmm. and everyone asks the same thing. Why hasn't, why hasn't this been done yet? I, I don't know why it hasn't been done, but it's being done now. Uh, so the way that, we, uh, the way that we got here, uh, our sister company, CPI Pipe and Steel, they've been around for 40 years. Um, started out in the tubing and casing business, uh, moved over more into the line pipe business in the early yeah. 90s. And uh, they focused for a long time on taking up abandoned pipelines and reconditioning the pipe and selling it back into a structural market like piling, sign poles, uh, bore pipe, um, you know, sacrificial casing, whatever it was. Uh, and the owner of our company kind of looked up and said, man, this, this was actually a great asset. It just wasn't, it just didn't really move the needle for the owner at that time. So he put it kind of on the back burner for, for a long time and um, started a couple other midstream companies. And then uh, we just saw a need and we're like, hey, you know, this is, there's a void in this market. Uh, We've, uh, we've built a few other companies and we were in a position uh, capital wise to, to devote some capital and some uh, human resources to uh, starting this thing up. And uh, we just, we sat down, drew up business model, drew up some, um, drew up some presentations and built a prototype and then started, uh, started working our network. But yeah, out of the, uh, out of the abandoned pipeline space is like, man, this would have been so good for you know, Jim Bob's midstream right down the street. But yeah. the, you know, the problem with, with that was those smaller guys, they might have $50 million available. They might have $30 million available. They're searching for an asset. But when they start bundling these $200 million, $2 billion bundles together, they don't get invited to the dance because they don't qualify as a, as a qualified buyer that can transact on that package. So mm -hmm. They're just kind of left out to dry. So for us, it was like, this is this is a no-brainer. Let's unbundle this thing and let's go to the small guys um, or even the big guys. I, you know, I keep focusing on the smaller guys, but I think that's who's really going to benefit out of our business model. Um, you know, just opening up some visibility to them 
uh, on some assets that can actually transact on and probably honestly run it more run it more efficiently than you know the the really big midstream companies um those guys have i mean they've got people all over the place but they don't want to be sending a guy 60 miles out in the middle of nowhere to respond to a one call um over and over and over and in maintaining cathodic protection and running integrity programs on an asset that doesn't mean anything to them but to these small guys it can really it can really kind of get their foot in the door to to open up a business so yeah you definitely see the value be a lot greater for the for the smaller guys but do you but do you see a fit for the the plains all americans the williams the the enterprise products um that that is a goal for us is yeah. to uh is to get there to be able to list um some things that and you know i think we've seen over the past few years in the in the m a space everybody's getting swallowed up uh there's some really really big transactions out there uh from bigger midstream companies buying other bigger midstream companies and uh, we go back to the 80-20 rule we talked about earlier. We think that they're buying that company or or that portion of the company for, I don't know, 70, 80% of what they're actually purchasing. The other 30% just got lumped in. And yeah. we're here to alleviate the uh, the pain on those. And uh, I think at some point we'll get to the Williams and the Plains and the Enterprise and Enbridge and, and those guys selling on our platform. Um, and hopefully buying too, but you know, that would, it, that's going to be further down the road, I think. So it's just wild to me. Like there's, there's been, there's a, you know, groups that have been doing this on the upstream side for, for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like energy net, uh, you've got some newer players, energy domain, uh, who, who's kind of, you know, come out the gate swinging as well. And so, but none of them to my knowledge have ever touched the mainstream assets. It's always just purely, um, you know, PDP. And so, yeah, that's just so wild. It's just, yeah. There's so many opportunities. This is a great opportunity to talk about this. So many opportunities in this space if you just pay attention. And so, yeah, bringing transparency into a market where it's wildly opaque. Sure. You know, is the opportunity. Yep. That's it. And, uh, man, we're, you know, we're here to, uh, we're here to list things for, for people that have things to list. But like you said, the, the biggest thing that we're here to do is bring transparency, um, and visibility to what's for sale. And, and really kind of help people facilitate the smaller transactions that we feel are kind of thrown to the wayside. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I'm sure this is, hasn't been all smooth sailing. I'm sure this hasn't been easy. What are the things you think I'd find surprising? Like what are the, what are the challenges that you guys had to go through so far? Yeah, I think the, uh, the biggest thing that we were surprised by, I guess, is I guess we weren't surprised. We just didn't realize to the degree that we would have to protect um the the inform the due diligence information that we discussed earlier um that's why we our data room is set up through um data site which is merrill corp uh, they're kind of the pinnacle of you know i call them the dropbox on steroids secure data transfer um but that's that's really kind of been the biggest hurdle for us is it always sounds like a great idea people always want to list but they're worried about so what if you what if you give away our our commercial position to our competitor? What if um, what if someone takes our contracts and copies them? What if someone hacks your site and uh, and then we're all we're all compromised? And you know when you're talking to a publicly traded company, that's a that's a huge issue. And that's but the same we, thing applies on the upstream side. They've been doing it forever. So how is it any different on midstream? 
I think it goes back to what you said earlier of it hasn't been done before. Yeah. Um, and specifically in the midstream space. So I think it's just more of the fear of the unknown mm-hmm. kind of deal and, and how are we going to mitigate those concerns. But, um, and really the, you know, the other thing too that we've had a hard time with is like we talked about earlier is uh, we're, we're kind of in a chicken and an egg scenario right now. It's like, why should, why should we list a big asset with some great EBITDA on it um, on your website when y'all don't really have a history of those types of transactions? Well, then you get into this, the, the circular argument of, well, how do we get to those types of transactions if you don't list? So uh, that's why the, the assets we have on there right now, uh, some of them are idle. Some of them have a small amount of, uh, of money. Some of them have a small amount of revenue on them. Um, but we're actively seeking the bigger ones. And, uh, and, you know, I think finding a buyer for the bigger ones will be a lot, maybe a lot easier than, than the assets that we have right now. And it, and it, it always seems that the smaller orders, whether you're in the pipe sales world or a distribution, any distribution model, it seems like the smaller orders are always the ones that take a little bit more bandwidth. Um, and that's kind of the position we're in right now. So, yeah. So on the, on the upstream side, you know, you've got, you've got, you know, the operated model, you've got the non-operated model. So it's not uncommon to, you know, own 30% working interest, um, you know, in a well or, or a lease, uh, and, and kind of have this JV. Does that exist on the, on the midstream side to where you could have, you know, I don't know, let's just use people that we talked about earlier. Let's just say Williams owns 70% and then enterprise owns 30% and they're just sure one's operating and the other one's just kind of non-op just kind of sitting back collecting revenue. Does that exist? Yeah. They do it okay. all the time. Okay. Yep. Um, a joint venture yeah. project and, and the majors team up with each other all the time on that, on that kind of stuff so especially the so there in theory you're i mean you're sharing data you're you're everybody knows what everybody's doing and what contracts you have and all that kind of stuff and so if they're already doing that right i feel like that would be some good ammunition to be like you guys have already you already worked together on like 20 projects like what what are we actually concerned about here i i agree and they've got everything pegged so so far down that they know they know where everybody's at but again everybody's competing and um Everybody's competing on an individual level as well. And I think that's kind of, I don't think that they're necessarily concerned about existing items. I think they're concerned on maybe giving away their growth, growth initiatives or, um, you know, their next move. And, uh, that's, that's really all I can get out of it. (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's, there's certain reasons to be cautious. And I think that for, for, I think most of, most of the industry, it's just a bunch of anxieties about things we should not be concerned about. You know, one of the one of the biggest things uh, that I hear all the time is, uh, especially around stuff that we're building around proprietary and confidential information. It's like, well, there's just we should really define what that actually means because most of the stuff that we're talking about is not proprietary and it's not confidential. That's right. And we should be sharing this kinds of information because you know our rising tide is going to continue to raise all ships in this space. Yep. So where are you guys at in kind of life cycle of, of being a company? How long have you guys been doing this? Kind of where are you guys at today? Yep. Um, I would say really the last year is where we've really ramped up. We, yeah. we I would say we dabbled for a couple of years and, you know, during COVID and coming out of COVID um, was a lot of, I would call them like the soft touches, a lot of uh, the coffees and pitching the ideas and, um, you know, really telling them kind of what our vision is. And we got a lot of, positive feedback. And I'd say in the last year is when we really stepped on the gas, uh, devoted some capital to the web development side, 
uh, we hired a, we hired some teams of uh, to, of people to to start actually beating the streets and mm-hmm. um, getting in front of the right people. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're about a year in. Uh, we've got some assets on our website right now. Always looking for more, but um, you know it's also kind of a bolt on to a few other companies that that we have. CPI that I mentioned earlier, uh, ARS Global is one of the the biggest distributors of of large diameter pipe valves and fittings out there right now, and uh, they concentrate mostly on the surplus world. Uh, so they're buying pipe off of canceled projects, and um, that was also kind of a niche that that we filled. Uh, we looked around, and you know, with CPI, we were going out and buying. Not only abandoned pipelines, but we were buying big piles of pipe that were sitting out in the field for for a couple of years after canceled project. And uh, looked up one day and we said, "Hey, why can't Enterprise buy Kinder Morgan's pipe and use it, or why can't Enbridge buy uh, you know P66's pipe and use it?" So we created ARS as a peer to peer marketing company where um, we take canceled projects, scope changes, surplus inventory, if it's just idle or whatever, and we market it to the midstream space. And it a lot of times reduces their cost. They can buy it cheaper because it's a second owner item. Mm-hmm. It almost reduces or eliminates any lead time. Maybe they have to make some modifications to it, but you're not looking at you know, six, eight, 12 month manufacturing lead times. It's immediately available. It's on the ground. It's ready to deploy. And when you start uh, from a commercial standpoint, we start taking into account being able to get that line in the ground four months ahead of schedule. Uh, that that really shifts some project economics, and I think that was one of the reasons that a few of the projects that we executed during COVID actually got across the finish line because there was a time where coming out of COVID, steel prices had some pent up demand that shot through the roof, and uh, you know if if somebody had um, their project model on their desk and steel prices went two and a half X. I mean, that, that completely changes things. And, mm-hmm. and that's a good way for, for projects to get killed right out of the gate. But, uh, we had taken a, a really big position on some inventory, um, off of a couple canceled projects and, um, and push those projects across the finish line. But, um, yeah, going back to, going back to where we're at, you know, I think, uh, I think we have the right resources and the right people in place right now uh that, it, that it's basically go time for us so we're ready what is the what is the business model because you know i understand if the current market is purely working with investment banks right i know what investment banking fees start at right mm-hmm. and it goes up from there right so that can be wildly expensive but we're also talking big numbers here too so what is the what is the model for you guys and so if anybody's listening who's like man i would love i'm curious how do you guys make your money yep uh the the business model for us is exactly like a real estate transaction. Uh, like when, when you have a realtor selling a house, they're connecting a buyer and a seller. Mm-hmm. They're taking a commission on a successful transaction. Um, we don't charge a listing fee. We don't charge a subscription fee. We're, we're paid purely based on a successful transaction um, actually happening. So um, one thing that we don't do that investment banks do is we're not here to um, build that hockey stick model for a prospective buyer. We're not here to do the due diligence um, analysis for you and, yeah. and build out, you know, what what your revenue growth looks like over the next 10 years, what your exit plan looks like. Um, we're not here to do that. We're here to just connect the buyers and sellers. So mm-hmm. it's exactly like a uh, like a real estate play. And, and based on 
how much organization of the due diligence documents we have to do, uh, how much bandwidth we have to devote to making this thing a presentable asset will depend on, you know, our, our success fee. And, um, it'll be higher if, if you bring in a couple of manila envelopes full of loose papers and plop it on our desk and say, sell it. And it's going to be a higher, a higher fee. So, yeah. And, and, and you guys are feeling like you're squeezing more out of each of these deals, you know, by unbundling all the shit that comes in the package. That's right. You know, so if, if they're winning, you're winning. So I think everybody's incentivized kind of the same way. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a relatively low barrier too. Yeah. So For I mean, sure. I don't think you guys are creating any, any more friction than there needs to be. That's right. In the entire process. That's right. What do you think about, and this is a wild idea, but I'm sitting here thinking about it now. Um, you know, so I'm comparing existing, uh, existing pipeline infrastructure to like PDP on the upstream side. But what if in the future, I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but what if somebody came to you and was like, hey, I want to build this billion dollar pipeline. I would love to, to raise some cash to, to be able to do that. And possibly you guys have the network to, to do that. And you think that, I mean, because that, that's the equivalent of like getting in direct participation on a, on a new uh, drilling program, right? Sure. And so have you guys have you thought much about that? We haven't thought that far ahead. Okay. okay. Yeah, we haven't thought that far ahead. It's a great idea. I, I love the model, but yeah. uh, no, we have not thought that far ahead yet. That'd be so wild. That'd be it wild. It would. Yeah. It would. And, and I do think that, like you said, we've got the network, we've got the contacts to facilitate that. But, um, yeah. you know, we've been, we've been kind of heads down. We run pretty lean. Um, we're small companies. So we've just been heads down trying to, trying to get this thing out of the gate. So, yeah. Yeah. What is the, um, I mean, I, I know the direction that you're going, but like immediately, like what, what's kind of the, the things that you're most excited about? Man, uh, the, the, one of the things that, that we're excited about is the, the GIS deal that we're, that we're mm -hmm. building on our site, I think not only is going to be a great tool for shopping the assets, but it's going to be a really cool resource for, uh, for somebody to just go on there and play around, whether you're looking at assets for sale Mm -hmm. on our website or not um i think we're doing some really really cool things on the gis side to for for buyers to just log in and even if it's something completely unrelated to to midstream holdings or any of the assets that we have uh, i think that we're going to be a really really good resource for for some of those layers that we're going to be able to to throw on some maps and really drill down and kind of get get the whole picture of what's happening in, in a geographic area, whether it's 200 mile radius or a 20 mile radius, you'll be able to drill down, look at other assets that, that are there, look at other producing uh, areas, whether it's, you know, a small little basin there or whatever, you'll be able to see the active players there, you'll be able to see where everybody interconnects, uh, where everybody's bringing their stuff downstream, and how all of that ties together where right now there, there are a couple of GIS programs out there. Uh, but I think that they're a little bit more intensive than what we're building. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped about the, the GIS deal. So, uh, that's, that's just kind of the, the tech nerd in me kind of wanting to yeah. want to get on there and play around. But, uh, yeah, I think that's great. And then, you know, the other thing that, that I'm pretty excited about is visiting with a lot of the smaller guys that we've been talking to about this, especially on some of the assets that we have listed and, uh, like I mentioned earlier, where we start making that surgical approach on on finding the people in, in the area and just hearing them talk about how much it's going to help them be able to see things that are that are for sale. And I, I feel like a lot of those guys just feel like it's been such a grind because they've had to do everything from ground zero and build it themselves and add on themselves and, and worry about raising capital themselves and, and everything. They've had to just 
they've had the whole burden uh, in their entire business cycle. And uh, hearing them talk about how excited they are to see some things um, that they might actually be able to transact on that'll help their business um, grow exponentially in, in a pretty short amount of time. That's pretty exciting. So. I think I think it's cool to hear that there are small guys in the space. And you know, I think we know all the people that we mentioned earlier, the Titans who've really run the mainstream game for a long time. But it is cool to hear, um, you know, that there are some smaller players who wanted to kind of make some big moves. Sure. I do want to realize that on the upstream side as well, uh, a majority of uh, U.S. production comes from the small mom and pop operators. Absolutely. It's just tons and tons of them. Um, you know, the guys who you know have a few wells here and there on a few leases. I, I didn't realize that until you start looking at, and you really drill down out there like in West Texas and stuff, and mm -hmm. you look at all of the wells, and then you look over, you see the map view, and it's just a bunch of dots all over the place. You look at the list view, and you start reading about, you know, this company that has one well, three wells, six and wells. And it's all like people's just like family names. That's right. You know, or, or so-and-so so trust. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, it was crazy to me because I always thought it was just the big guys going out and buying up a bunch of dedicated acreage and punching holes in the ground. It's not that way at all. I don't know. It's so, actually the, a significantly small portion of the uh, the upstream side. Sure. Yeah. So, man, this has been uh, this has been awesome. So, if anybody is listening who you know wants to buy or wants to sell, where do we where do we send them to? Uh, midstream holdingscom Okay. Uh, you can go there. You can sign up. Um, again, you can you can start seeing assets immediately, uh, at least from a high level view, uh, a map and a little bit of teaser teaser information. And uh, if you're interested in an asset, by all means, click on there. It's a, it's a super simple process. Click on request more information. Uh, somebody from our team will get in touch with you and and ask you a few questions, and um, we'll get a confidentiality agreement executed and get you in a data room. I love it, man. And you're on you're so, on LinkedIn, right? I'm on LinkedIn. You're on LinkedIn. You want to throw your email in here? Yeah, sure. It's uh, jca at midstream-holdings.com. Perfect. So if you guys are interested, you want to list, you want to just find out more information, are you guys raising capital? Yeah, nay? Nope. No. Nope. You're, you're, they're well capitalized. Sorry, we're, they're not going to take your money. We're capitalized, <laughs> uh, self-funded. Uh, Yep, we're but we're uh, we're ready to go. So this is exciting. This is this is like really really exciting. Just because I think it has the a large potential to have a huge huge impact on this space, and I just can't iterate enough that I'm so surprised that this has never been done. So I'm excited for you guys. I want to follow the journey. We should do this again uh, in the future to see how far Absolutely, you guys have come. Man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. You guys are doing some great things too. I appreciate so, that. Yeah, appreciate keep that it. Up. So you guys like this, take two seconds, leave a rating review, share with all your friends, send all your much your mudstream, your midstream buddies, uh, all the guys on the marketing side, and we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Come, 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 come.